Welcome to this APTA podcast. Welcome to PTJ Author Interviews. PTJ Editor-in-Chief Alan Jetty talks with authors about the most interesting and sometimes surprising aspects of their work. And now, Dr. Jetty. Hello. I want to welcome listeners to this latest PTJ podcast. This is Alan Jetty, Editor-in-Chief with PTJ. And today I'm very pleased to have as my guest, Dr. Amit Kumar. He's on faculty with the Department of Physical Therapy and Athletic Training at the College of Health at the University of Utah in Salt Lake City. Welcome, Dr. Kumar. Thank you, Alan. It's nice to be here, and I look forward to our discussion. Well, today we're going to talk about an article that he and his colleagues have published in PTJ. The title is Association Between Hospital Participation in Value-Based Programs and Timely Initiation of Post-Acute Home Health Care, Functional Recovery, and Hospital Readmission After Joint Replacement. Let me start by saying I really enjoyed your article. I think it addresses a really important topic, and I look forward to discussing it with you. As your title suggests, your study examined the association between uh, hospital participation in two types of programs. The first is called the Bundle Payments for Care Improvement Program, and the second is the Comprehensive Care for Joint Replacement Program and the timely initiation of home health rehab services for lower extremity joint replacements, both knee and hip. And they examined the association between the timely initiation of home health rehab services with improvement in self-care and mobility, as well as 90-day hospital readmission. So my first question is, I'm really interested, what got you interested in looking at these questions uh, with patients who've had lower extremity joint replacements. So that's a very important. So my interest in this research area is like during my postdoc, it originates from the two major shift uh, in U.S. healthcare policy and uh, shift in the demography also. The first one is, as we all know, lower extremity joint replacements, including total hip and knee replacements, are growing uh, by lips and bounds, lower extremity joint replacements, including both hip and knee, are among the most performed surgeries in the U.S. And with this increase in the hip and knee replacement surgeries, there is a significant increase in the cost and the variation of post-acute care. So healthcare, secondly, the healthcare payment policy in the U.S. is also shifting towards alternative payment models that seeks to reduce medical spending and improve the quality of care and efficiency. And in efforts to improve the outcome and reduce costs, the CMS have moved towards implementing value-based payment models. Those are novel approaches that tie payment not only to the volume of services rendered, but also to the quality outcomes and cost of care provided during the whole episode of care. So it is interesting to understand how the shift in this payment models or landscape will impact the uh, process of post-acute care or the timing of post-acute care or the overall pattern in rehabilitation and patient recovery and outcomes, which matters to these patients most. Like, you know. Okay. Well, that makes perfect sense to me. Let's help our listeners understand the two 
value-based payment models that you focused on. The first one is called the Voluntary Bundle Payments for Care Improvement Model, and the second is the Mandatory Comprehensive Care for Joint Replacement Model. Can you briefly describe the differences between those two models? Yes, yeah, but I want to a little bit go to a little bit histor- historical facts. So as we know, the U.S. healthcare system, particularly post-acute care, is fragmented by payment and by settings, specifics, which may impact our quality of care, coordination of care, and outcomes substantially. For a long time, the U.S. hospital payments have been fragmented, and this was favorable for the hospital, but it ultimately led to increase in Medicare spending, which was unsustainable. In the late 80s and early 90s, there was a significant change in healthcare payment reform through the implementation of the prospective payment system. And under the prospective payment systems, hospitals are paid in a single fixed amount for the entire hospitalization based on the diagnosis or impairment uh, for the patient is hospitalized. This creates incentives for the hospital to be more efficient during hospitalization, reducing length of stay, and avoiding unnecessary tests and procedures. Recently, according to the recent Medicare payment report to the Congress, home health services uh, serves 3 million people, resulting in 16.9 billion in Medicare spending, while SNF skilled nursing facilities serves 1.2 million people, resulting in seven, approximately 17 billion in Medicare spending. The variation in the post-acute care utilization is one of the significant factor driving the U.S. healthcare spending. And right now, there are different payment structure in place for the post-acute care in its various settings, including skilled nursing facilities, inpatient rehab, and long-term care hospitals, and home health. So in order to reduce the cost of care and fragmentation of payment and care coordination, the CMS initiated this two-value-based payment model. The first, as you mentioned, is the voluntary-based bundle payment for care improvement, BPCI. And then after the successful implementation of this voluntary-based BPCI model, CMS implemented this mandatory comprehensive care for joint replacement. And But both model increases hospitals, physician, and post-acute care providers to work together to improve the quality and coordination of care from the initial hospitalization to the outpatient care. And under this model, hospitals are held accountable for the spending and quality of care during the inpatient stay, post-acute care, and outpatient stays up to 90 days, the episode of periods. Hospitals are eligible to earn financial rewards if their spending for each 90-day episode is lower than the quality-adjusted target price, or hospital can be penalized if their spendings per episode is higher than their target price. So the overall objective of both bundle payment for care initiatives and the comprehensive joint replacement model is to increase the safe and effective care coordination, improve patient experience and outcomes. And this reduce the fragmentation and the cost of care. But to our knowledge, there's not so much studies and how this hospital participating in these two different payment models will impact post-acute rehab care and patient-centered outcomes. Okay. I want to challenge one of the statements you make in the article. Maybe you can explain where you're coming from on that. You state that timely post-acute care coordination is critical in these patients to improve, reduce pain, improve function, and enhance patient satisfaction. 
Is there really evidence to support that for all lower extremity joint replacement patients? It sounds like you're saying one size fits all, and I was surprised to read that. I definitely, I indeed agree with, certainly agree with your like, you know, question and uh, you know, argument. Like a patient with sudden risk factors or comorbidities may have different post-acute care needs and recovery trajectories. Like, you know, in our other paper, which is under views, and we found that like not clinical factors, but uh, uh, patient with minorities background, blacks and dual eligible patients, which are high need patients, are more likely to receive delayed home health care, having a different poor functional outcomes. But there are not so many studies on risk factors by the patient with in, in patient with lower extremity joint replacement. This will be an interesting research question to be answered. And some studies have shown that the patient with um, uh, comorbidities will more likely to have a poor patient outcomes, but we have not seen studies in this population by certain risk factors. And I, I also suspect there are some patients that probably don't need post-acute care, particularly uh, those who've received hip replacements. I agree with that. Like, you know, a lot of patients just directly dis- discharge from the hospital, goes to home, and they may not need home health care. They may need outpatient care after in a week or two weeks, like, you know, just for conditioning. Yeah. That, that leads me to my next question. You focused your study on home health care. Uh, did you consider including outpatient therapy? Was there a reason for your focus only on home health as the community-based post-acute modality? Yeah, this is the really fundamental policy-relevant question. You know, after the implementation of several value-based initiatives, we have seen significant decline in institutional-based post-acute care in inpatient rehab facilities and skilled nursing facilities in patients with lower extremity joint replacement. And we have also seen increase in home health and outpatient utilization during this period. Uh, and we believe that patients receiving care in outpatient setting will, we believe that there will be a different, uh, have a clinical needs and rehabilitation needs. Um, and that may impact their trajectory of patient recovery. Uh, but however, it is like, you know, even this Medicare data, we don't have that outpatient uh, information. Uh, so that was one of the major limitation in our study. We would like to include outpatient in your future study. Yeah, I suspected that was why you made the choice that you did. And, and it's totally understandable. Well, let's talk about some of your findings. Uh, the percentage of patients who received delay home health, which you defined as greater than two days following hospital discharge, was 28.9% for knee and 35.6% for hip. And you report that patients discharged from both of the programs were less likely to have home health rehab service delays as compared to those from the non-participating hospitals. So just like you had hypothesized, do you know if participating hospitals had less home health latency before getting involved? I'm, I'm getting at the issue of selection bias, obviously. Uh, do you have a sense of that? Was there a way to look at that in, in your study? 
No, this is a good uh, policy evaluation question. And as you said, there's a, like, you know, selection bias in by the market, like, you know, where CGR hospitals are located, like, you know, the CGR hospitals are mostly located in those metropolitan areas, like, you know, where we know, like, you know, the mostly the patients are going to those hospitals where have conducting large number of joint replacement surgeries. So in our study, we have done some sensitivity analysis by pre and post, but we have not accounted for a lot of causal market level factors like, you know, and so we have not presented in our paper, but we saw that those hospital, hospital participating in CGR or BPCR program are more likely to receive timely home health care, like, you know, before and after the participate, after the participation, like, you know. But we not presented this result in main findings on a paper because we don't have other uh, factors which are causing this. We don't know that information. Yeah. In your multivariate analyses for patients who got both hip and knee replacements, you did report a statistically significant association between home health rehab latency and lower moderate self-care and for knee replacement patients, a higher likelihood of 90-day readmission. Talk a little bit about the policy significance of that finding, those findings. Yeah, so like, you know, the couple of policy implications of these findings, by showing significant association between home health rehab services latency with functional status and hospital readmission, our study emphasized the importance of home health quality metrics in improving the clinical outcomes. And most of the policy paper, which has been focused on the reducing the cost of care, like, you know, maybe 100 to $200. And they have ignored the patient-centered outcomes, which matter most after the lower extremity joint replacement. And payment model, and these payment models have unintended consequences on care coordination, leading to different patient outcomes. The Center for Medicare, Medicaid services should further incentivize the efficiency and coordination of home health services to ensure that right level of care is provided at the right time in this patient population. And the third, which is important, like you know, with this uh, implementation of this new patient-driven patient -driven grouping model in a home health, we need more studies to understand the impact of this new payment model on home health utilization. So I think our findings can like, you know, is a stepping stone or lays the foundation to uh, not only study the cost uh, of care, but also some patient-centered outcomes and process measure. Amit, do you, do you know where there's subgroups of patients that for whom the latency, the delay was particularly impactful? Yes, so I definitely like, you know, those patients who are, have staying longer length of stay in the hospital, those who have a higher comorbidity score, those patients who have may not have received pre-rehabilitation before surgery, or those patients who have, these are not planned surgeries. I think in that case situation, this timely initiation of home health care is uh, critical. Yeah. Finally, you focused on patients, your cohort, all received home health. Did you, in, in this paper or in other analyses, compare those, the, those outcomes for those that received no home health care 
versus those who did. Yeah, that's again back to like, you know, Alan, it's important question. Like those who in Medicaid data, we may don't have the information, patient functional status information about those who have not received home health care. But in the past, our groups and others have shown that patient receiving care in inpatient rehab facilities, SNF or home health, have lower readmission rates compared to those patients who have not received any post-acute care settings. But again, we don't know information about the outpatient, like you know. Yeah, yeah, because uh, you only had the functional data on those who were in home health. Yeah, so that's the limitation of the study. I think it's uh, important to understand, have some follow-up longitudinal study to compare functional trajectory and long-term outcomes. It was interesting to me that the readmission finding applied only to those patients with knee replacement, not hip replacement. Yes, yes. So, any thoughts on that finding? Because uh, some of the other findings applied to both groups. Yeah, I think I think maybe like um, as you said, like you know, the patient with hip replacement may have a different case mix and different like you know clinical and rehabilitation needs so uh, that may impact that 90 days of hospital readmission rates in that population yeah it seems like the knee replacement group is a higher risk group yes. than the hip yeah i i think so like you know but again we have excluded those patients uh with the hip fracture and other like you know which can, may lead to the hip replacement so these are different uh, hip, different patient population. Yeah. Well, Dr. Kumar, thank you both for doing the study and for taking the time to discuss it with me. I really enjoyed it. And I would encourage our listeners to take a, a careful look at the article. Thank you. Thank you, Alan. You can find more APTA podcasts like this one on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, or by visiting apta.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening.